Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Lauren Clement joining me today. Lauren, thanks for joining me on the show. Hey Michael, it's awesome to be here. At eight years old, Lauren was told she had word blindness and would never be able to read or write properly. Yet she went on to become a five-time best-selling author and international Stevie Award-winning neuro-branding expert. You're using her dyslexia disability as her greatest asset, helping others understand how the brain sees brands. So Lauren, I think we need to at least dive into part of that when you were younger. But could you tell us a bit about you and where you were born, what it was like for you growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born in New Zealand um, to English parents, actually. We were just talking before, Michael, my parents moved to um, Auckland from Bournemouth in the UK as 10-pound poms in the 1960s and settled there. They're now Kiwis. They'd call themselves Kiwis through and through. Um, And I was very fortunate. I grew up in a gorgeous place called Hunua. It was out in the middle of the bush and uh, the nearest shops were about a I don't know, 30, 40 minute drive away and um, just an idyllic lifestyle as a kid. I just loved being at that camp. It was a a place called Campadia, a YMCA camp. And every week of the school holidays, we had another 350 different children would arrive with leaders and so on and, um, and arrive at the camp for the week. And, um, and yeah, we had an awesome, awesome life. And I had a pet sheep and lived out in the bush and had motorbikes as a kid and all sorts of things. Just got really into living in the country. Um, used to run around with no shoes on for most of the time and loved swimming in the, in the, in the river. Just a really cool, idyllic lifestyle. Um, I think my parents were very keen um, for their family to grow up enjoying as much as possible of that outdoor lifestyle given that they'd moved all the way to New Zealand. so But yes, as a kid, I went to a country school and um, had an awesome teacher who came to my desk one day, and I remember it to this day, and he, he, he was good. He sort of knelt down next to me, and so he was at eye level, and said to me, Lauren, you're really not getting this reading stuff. You're just not grasping it like the other children. I think you've got word blindness. Um, which of course is dyslexia. And that might sound like a horrible thing for a teacher to say, you know, that you're never going to be able to read or write like the other kids do. But he knew me. He knew any sort of um, negative psychology was going to work really, really well. Anything you could tell Lauren she couldn't do, I was going to damn well prove you wrong. (laughs) So, um, So he was awesome. He helped me um, understand my dyslexia, understand how I could, um, you know, learn how to read and, and write in a different way. And in my own way, he encouraged me to read books and to throw myself into novels. Um, I, I think the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe series was the one I really loved. And I read it over and over. And um, I was just adding to my vocabulary as much as possible. He'd give me a book of words to take home every night so that I could get someone to read out a word and I'd have to spell it back to them. And I if you're listening to this and you've got dyslexia in your life or you know someone with dyslexia, um, everyone's different. And to me, I have to see the shape of the word in my brain. Um, and even now, when I have to spell a word that I'm not comfortable with, I'll close my eyes and see the shape of it so that I can actually remember how it's spelled. Um, I love Grammarly and spell check and all these fantastic tools that we have today that we never had when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, it was awesome to grow up in that environment of support. My parents were incredibly supportive of my creativity. Um, I couldn't count very well either. My maths was pretty awful, but I could draw um, and I was pretty creative. And I ended up being a graphic designer. Still couldn't spell, 
And I remember actually once, Michael, when I qualified as a graphic designer, we had an exhibition and there was an internal competition went on between our tutors to see how many spelling mistakes there would be in this exhibition with about 40 students. Um, and we were pretty bad between us all. So uh, it must be something that goes hand in hand, being creative and dyslexic. I know Richard Branson is somebody who, um, who has dyslexia and he's a pretty creative guy, so I don't mind too much. But, um, but yeah, it definitely helped me. It was one of my biggest disabilities, but it became an asset because when I got out of um, my graphic design training and I qualified, I then worked for advertising agencies um, and I worked as a production manager and a brand manager. And I had this uncanny ability to see brands and to be able to keep the, the brands consistent. And in fact, I'd be a little bit of a um, insurance policy. Um, people would come to me throughout the agency. And as I was getting it through to production, they would say, hey, is that right? Does that look like the right logo? And I could tell them if it was slightly the wrong color or was it last year's logo? Had it been stretched in some way? I could tell pretty much straight away. So that ability to hold the image of a word in my brain when I was learning how to spell um, became an asset when I became a brand manager. And it's really been something that has been a challenge, but it's been um, a huge part of my own personal brand. Was there anything that, that stands out in a way that you have used it as a gift? Because from what you mentioned, it, it seems like it was more of a, a natural thing. You, know, you can see the words in, in your head in order to understand them, and then you went into graphic design, which kind of, there's a definite crossover there. But did you experience any, any resistance when you were, were trying to get um, into the idea of being creative or the, the graphic design kind of things? And did you, did you have any particular strategies that you used to, to overcome those? I think probably the biggest lesson I got, Michael, was I was working with a production manager um, at Saatchi and Saatchi's, which is one of the big world-leading agencies. They'd won so many awards when I was working with them in Wellington. And um, I'm just an action taker. I just get on and do things, don't really care too much about what other people think of me, which has also been a benefit. But um, I would bash off these emails and send them off to, you know, some of the, the um, account directors or printers or whatever. I'd send them, just whack an email and send it off. And it would be full of really bad spelling. And she said to me, and I will always remember, it was a great lesson. She said, it doesn't matter what you think or feel, Lauren. When somebody sees your email, they see your work, um, and it's not even a big part of your work. It's just a communication. And they see you have spent no time or no, or no effort, um, and you are not checking your work. That, that reflects very badly and very poorly on your own personal character. So she really instilled in me that um, to hold me back and go, look, I think the one thing that it's really helped me with is to just slow down, double check, and make sure that whatever I'm putting out there, I've done my best. I've, I've just, I haven't rushed it. It's not a case of just bish, bosh, bash and get it out there. I think the, the ability to understand my disability is that it's there to help me. It's there to keep me in check and to assist me to be the best I can be, rather than letting it become an excuse. So how did you get into the idea of branding as a whole then? So you mentioned graphic design. When did things start to be a bit more, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say scalable, but you start incorporating different things into the work that you're doing? 
I think it was as soon as I got into working in the industry. I mean, I was in the advertising industry, God, well and truly before the internet. Um, and in fact, before computers, which was really showing my age now. Thanks for that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I worked in the industry when there were reproduction cameras and there were all sorts of manual ways of film stripping and, and uh, you know, just lithographics and all these old terminologies that just don't exist anymore. Um, and I think when I was in that environment and you had to be creative, you, you actually had to have those hardcore skills. You couldn't just whack something on a computer and Photoshop it and make it look fantastic, grab a, a bit of clip art or some sort of tool that could color something. Um, you actually had to be able to draw or to at least art direct something and tell somebody who could draw what you wanted them to do and look at the composition and come up with the creative ideas. And that really was exciting. Those were, those were really, God, I'm sounding really nostalgic, but those were really exciting times <laughs> when it was an art. Um, and I learned at the elbow of some pretty cool people, um, some really, really things that will stay with me forever around how to, how to create um, communication as an art form and not just bash something out um, that is trying to sell something to somebody and I think that's also helped Michael with my understanding of how the brain sees brands. Um, Neurobranding is a relatively new science, it's probably about 10 maybe 15 years old um, and what I love about it is that it understands the fact that our brains haven't changed Yes, we've got the internet. Yes, we've got all these amazing different ways of communicating and connecting with each other. And I think we sort of mentioned this before, it is so much easier now to connect with the world. You can start your own TV show for free on YouTube. You can start your own radio station by podcasting. You can start your own magazine by starting a blog. You know, it is so much easier now to create content and get it out into the world. The downside of that is that everybody's doing it. And there is so much out there. It's just like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It is so overwhelming. And people end up doing what I call WOFTAM, W-O-F-T-A-M. If anyone's thinking what WOFTAM is, it means waste of flipping time and money. <laughs> so, you know, that's, it, it's, it is so confusing and so overwhelming. Whereas I guess the art form is lost, that people don't stop and think about the messaging. They don't stop and think about, how am I going to connect with my audience? I, I talk about, I guess, content. if content is king, and everyone's talking about put out lots of content, put out lots of content, you know, you're going to be vlogging every week and so on. If content's king, then engagement is the queen of hearts. And I think that's where we're missing the plot. It's just people throwing stuff out into the marketplace without considering how am I engaging people? And our brains, as I said, they haven't changed. We still buy based on emotion, on how something makes us feel. And then later on, we'll justify that purchase with the fact. But we buy on emotion. We need to engage. We need to know, like, and trust someone before we even consider even attempting to think about buying from them. The decision-making process hasn't changed since we were cavemen. And it's really, really interesting when you start thinking about the basic needs of human beings. They want to be safe. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want you to paint the picture of the outcome. It's not about 
benefits and values and all these other mission statements and all these other things you can come up with. Just paint a picture of the outcome for your clients. And it just makes it easy for them to see that you can help them. You mentioned quite a lot there, and I just thought it might be worth maybe repeating or just underscoring or just so, just so people listening maybe don't actually forget what you said. I guess the, the important things that really stuck out for me at least was if content is king, then engagement is the queen of hearts. And I think that that, that sort of goes towards the more, more quality of the relationship or the quality of the communication that you're having with people. Because as you say, you know, everyone can do it, can't they? If everyone can do it, then you need something that can at least separate you from everybody else and I think that uh, having those conversations and engaging as you said is probably the the way to do that and it's it's funny when you mentioned that maybe the actual art side of things is is disappearing is that something that you've observed yourself like people just want the, the actual graphics they just want the actual outcome rather than like how you get to the outcome is kind of lost a little bit I guess if someone as you say can just throw images up and make it all look nice using Photoshop. Yeah it, it, it's sad because the meaningful side of brands has disappeared and I think I don't, can't remember who it was I think it was Jim Rohn said something along the lines of you know a man without a purpose is lost and if something doesn't have purpose, it doesn't have a meaningful story behind it or some reason to engage, it's just a bit of, it's just a graphic. It's just a sales ploy. Um, and I see this all the time. I mean, I love the fact that you can now go on the likes of 99designs or whatever and get, you know, a dozen different designers working on your brand for you and coming up with the most amazing brand identity for like 400 bucks. I mean, that makes life so much easier for small to medium businesses to really stand out and be different. But again, it comes down to the fact that if you've lost the art form, if you don't know how to create a brief, if you don't know how to tell your designer, this is how I want to make my audience feel. This is the message. This is the single-minded purpose of my brand. If you can't put that into a brief, into a one-page nutshell, if you like, um, then the design is just going to create something that looks good it, and it's purple or it starts with F. I don't, you know, it's, there's no purpose and no meaning. And I think neurobranding is, is such an interesting and valuable science because it helps you create a meaningful message behind your brand. And when you said before, um, Michael, that whole idea of, you know, engagement, how am I going to engage with my audience? Because everyone's under such pressure. If you're running a business, you're under such pressure to get content out there. And everyone asks me, well, how often do you think I should be posting on social media? I don't think it's a case of how often. I think it's more a case of what's the purpose? What do you want to try to, to achieve with this? And I mean, back in the 1970s, it was estimated that our brain was being hit with about 500 branded messages a day. And today that's closer to 5,000. So you're right, if you don't create something that engages the brain, engages the emotion, then it's just going to look like wallpaper. It's going to look like everybody else. And you just will not get seen. Um, you'll just be blah, 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 like everybody else. So, But you've got to paint that picture. And I think that's when it comes to understanding, how do I want my brand to make people feel? I need to paint a picture of the outcome so that they see what I want them to see. They, they believe what I believe in and they see my message and my purpose and my passion for what I do. 
Um, and I, I can actually play a little game, actually, Michael, if you're interested, to, to yeah, show you some neurobranding in action. Shall we have some fun? Yeah, why not? Go for it. Okay, so we're going to talk about painting a picture of the outcome and how fast your brain can do that. So I'm going to give you two words to think about, and everyone who's listening to this can do the same thing. So if you're driving while you're listening to this, just be a little bit cautious what you're doing. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, the two words I'm going to give you, I want you just to have a concentrated little bit of time on, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. So the two words I'd like you to think about are bacon and eggs. So just concentrate on those words and tell me, Michael, what did you see in your brain? Breakfast. <laughs> how, were the, how were the eggs cooked? They were fried. And, and did you have, how many pieces of bacon did you have? I think two or three and they were crispy. Awesome. And were they on a plate or anything like that? Did you have coffee with it or? Yeah, they, they were on a plate and I was having a cup of tea as well. Oh, nice. That does, that's making me hungry now. Um, but <laughs> did I tell you anything about those words? I didn't tell you they were cooked. I didn't tell you they were on a plate. I didn't tell you it was breakfast. And yet your brain, within milliseconds, had painted a picture. And you're probably like, now I'm even getting hungry. You know, so your brain is so fast to paint a picture of the outcome. So if you're not creating content that engages the brain and gets it really thinking about what is life going to be like once I've bought your services or I've bought your products or I've, I've got hold of that thing that you're trying to sell me. What is my life going to, going to be like? What's the transformation that's going to take place? If you don't paint that picture for them, they'll paint their own and it might not be what you want them to see. So you really need to consider how do you want to transform people's lives? And it's easy when you're selling a service because there's a definite before and after. You know, there's a before and after when you get your haircut, there's a before and after when you get your books sorted out as a business or when you get someone to mow your lawns, there's a definite before and after. And people don't buy how you do something. They buy the outcome. So is this something that, that you would recognize as being different from branding as a whole? Because you mentioned um, things that just look good before, but then you've got mm. this idea of brands that can paint pictures in, in people's minds. Is that something that you would say that distinguishes between like um, your typical brand and then a brand that is based on the sort of things that, that you would teach? I think this is an interesting part of the conversation, Michael. A lot of people don't quite understand what a brand is. They think, oh, it's a logo or a brand name, could be a trademark. Um, if you think about some really major brands that are out there that have they've been around for long, a long time and they are very single-minded in what they're doing, I, I could give you the brand name and you could tell me what that brand is all about, regardless of whether you've owned it or used it or be, had anything to do with that brand. So, for example, if I said to you Volvo, you probably would tell me it's a very safe car. Is that right? Yeah. And have you it ever was. owned a Volvo? I haven't, no. So how do you know that it's a safe car? Uh, probably because you you see it on the adverts and it's, it's kind of the, it, as it, again, as you mentioned before, it's the story that they've painted with the, their advertising, the marketing that they've done. 
Yeah, absolutely. And they've been consistent with it year after year. That's what they talk about. If I said to somebody, Nike, what's Nike all about? It's all about taking action. Stick these shoes on, you can run a marathon. And I mean, even the name Nike means the Greek goddess of victory, and she was really fast. So all of these brands that have done incredibly well, and the same with personal brands. We talked about Richard Branson, I mentioned him before, you'd talk about entrepreneurship, innovation, you know, fun. Um, if I talked about Oprah Winfrey, it would all about be all about soul and purpose and, and um, you know, creating something, something of a massive impact for the world. If you have got an idea of what you want to be known for, what's the number one thing that you want people to recognize you for and build that reputation and have that level of respect in the marketplace as being the best at, then just go after that. Don't try to be clever. Don't try to do a million things at once. Just figure out how do I want to make people feel with my brand? And that message goes through everything. It goes through the way you answer your phone. It goes through all of your marketing. It goes through the way you conduct yourself when you're networking. It goes through your branding and your colors and, and your imagery that you use through your website, um, through all of your social media activity, everything pivots off of that one brand strategy and I tell you what it makes it really easy to get your marketing right to avoid that waftam that waste of flipping time and money because instinctively when you know what your brand strategy is and you know what that one thing is that you want to be known for you know what's right and it's it's a really wonderful place that people get to. The, the people that I've worked with just say to me, now I know what I'm doing, you know, at long last. I can, I can, I've got like a little litmus test, you know. Somebody says, oh, why don't you do this? And you go, eh, it's not really fitting with my brand. I'll leave that for now. So, you know, it's a really, really good way to get over that. I call it, I call it bright, shiny object-itis that most entrepreneurs have, Michael, which is, which is you know, it's awesome to be an entrepreneur. I love entrepreneurs. I love the way they think and the creativity that they have. But if they let that, that overwhelm them, it does become that bright, shiny object itis. And they just get so lost and so confused. You've got to avoid that waft, haven't you? You've really got to try and uh, mm. move in the opposite direction of that. Do you have any particular, because we, we can speak all day about certain pictures and certain words and certain phrases and different texts to convey a certain message, but as you said, it's all about how you want to make them feel, which then sort of means that it's going to be different for everyone listening mm. to this recording, right? It's different for everyone that's going to be listening to the podcast. But do you have any, there could be common themes, there could be any go-to bits of information that maybe people can, can take away and use today or after listening to this? Is there anything that you would recommend for people that are listening? Absolutely. I think one of the, the first exercises I tend to take people through, and I work specifically with people who sell professional services, so accountants, personal trainers, real estate agents, you know, anyone who's selling the invisible, that they've got to exchange their expertise for income. Um, and I talk about the foundations of a personal brand being the three R's, which is really easy to remember, and it's something you might want to go and spend a bit of time working on. So the three R's of personal branding is recognition, reputation, and respect. So the first one is what we've been talking about a lot today, which is recognition. What's your recognition factor? What's the one thing that you really want to be known as being the best at? Um, and the Japanese have a word for this. It's called ikigai. It means just doing what you love. 
So, so what's your unconscious competence? You know, what's your expertise, the thing that you do with, with ease that other people find difficult? Um, what's your backstory? My backstory is dyslexia and creativity as a kid and, and all those amazing things that I did and living in the bush. And, and there's lots of other lessons I learned from that that I put into my branding today. So go back through your life. What was the theme um, that's gone through your entire life to where you are now that you can really be authentic with. And I, I talk a lot with my clients about going back to when they felt that they were just in the zone, just doing that thing that they love and thinking, if I could just do that and make a living from it, that would be awesome. So, I mean, one of the clients I work with, she, um, she grew up with a couple of brothers and used to have to go and do the milk round of a morning. And she hated it, getting up early in the dark and going off and helping her, her family, you know, deliver the milk. But she loved getting home and counting the money. And, and the, the, the sound and the, the way the money um, smelt and everything about the money, she just loved it. And she became an accountant. So, you know, there's a beautiful story in there about her passion for money and making sure that it works for you. Um, and she's created an amazing brand. We worked together for a while and she's doing some extraordinary things. But if you can really think about what do you want to be recognized for? And that can really help you position yourself, not only in the marketplace, but in your own self-belief and self-confidence that you are something that's really, really cool and really valuable. So the second thing is reputation. So word of mouth is by far the best form of marketing. It's free, it's third-party endorsement, and it's like a ripple effect. You know, somebody's uncle's nephew will tell them, hey, look, go and see that person because they're awesome. But what sort of reputation do you want to have in the marketplace? What words do you want people to use to describe you, to refer you as? It's really, really, it's back to that painting the picture. You know, if you don't clearly explain what it is you do and why someone should choose you, it makes it hard for people to refer, refer others to you. And the confused mind will never buy. So what do you want your reputation to be in the marketplace? Exactly who do you want to work with? Who's your ideal client? And who are the key opinion leaders out there in the marketplace that could be referring you? So you really need to think about that outgoing reputation. And then the third thing is respect. And I talk about this in terms of that consistency. And um, Michael, I, I got a great example. I got a business card um, in my letterbox one Christmas and I've got a, a photocopy of it somewhere because I just thought it was hilarious. And it's got on it, you know, cheap man and ute hire. Now a ute in Australia, where I live at the moment, um, is, a, is a pickup truck here. Yeah, it's a, um, a utility vehicle. And right. um, I, what do they call it in the UK? What's a ute in the UK? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. It's like an open trailer or something on the back of a car. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, so, but on his card, he did everything. He could deliver furniture. He could take you to the doctors. He did Elvis Presley impersonations. He had a bouncy <laughs> castle. Just seriously, Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, you know, rock and roll back, everything. He, he, <laughs> you know, just a massive list of what he did. And he was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And his whole business was called Cheap Man and Ute Hire. Um, and I just, I still use it to this day because there's no respect for that man. You know, he would never earn a lot of money. He'd be working every hour that God sends just to bring home an income. What if he just decided to, I don't know, mow lawns dressed as Elvis, just choose that one niche. You know, <laughs> I would pay to see that and I don't even have a lawn. 
So <laughs> you sure could have a franchise. You know, Marilyn would come and trim your hedges and, you know, all these different characters. James Dean could come and clean your car. But do you know what I mean? If you yeah. just chose to get respect for doing one thing consistently really well, he would get media, he'd be in the news, he'd have people booking him, he'd be able to, you know, like I say, franchise his idea. God, maybe we should go and do that. That sounds like an awfully fun business. But, um, but yeah, don't try to be everything to everyone. Don't let into that bright, shiny object-itis that'll just give you FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out. Just do one thing really, really well and be respected for that. So there's your three R's. Think about how do you gonna, what do you want to be recognized for in the marketplace as being the best? What sort of reputation do you want to have and who do you want to work with as your ideal client? And how are you going to get respected because you're consistently doing one thing really well and finding your niche? Sounds hilarious. I, I, I can imagine people booking them even if they haven't got long to be like yourself. So I, just, I just want to see the Elvis guy. That's, that's, that's <laughs> what I want to see. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? There we go. Somebody start that business up. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> so how, how do you have conversations with people around this because you mentioned fear of missing out and you mentioned being specific and there's, there's a lot of talk about that now it's not something that's brand new it's not something that's just appeared it's been happening for a while and there's a little little piece of me that sort of think well surely enough people know about this in order to put it in place but from what you've told me, it's not actually the case. So how do you have these conversations with your clients as, as a way of um, either <clears throat> being a bit more specific or at least just marketing something specifically? I think you're right. It is, to me, it's common sense. And like you said, it's not new. Um, you know, being known for doing one thing really well has always been a really good plan. I just think people are so overwhelmed, Michael. I think there's so many options. And we seem to be getting told that we need a LinkedIn profile and you need to be on Facebook and you need to be on Snapchat and you should be blog blogging and writing a book and why aren't you speaking? And, you know, it's just so overwhelming. I think the first part of communications I have with people is, look, let's just start with the basics. Let's really get clear on you and what your, your expertise is, what you really love doing, finding your icky guy, you know, the thing that you love that you can earn money for and that people actually want. Um, and then working out who your target avatar is because you can't help every Mary in the dairy. You know, we need to look at who is the, the ideal person to work with, who doesn't just need what you have, but they already want it. They're already out there looking for you. They just haven't found you yet because you haven't been putting out engaging content and you haven't got your brand messaging right. Um, and then how do we package all that together? How do we pull it together so that when you create your brand and you've got a personal brand platform ready to go, um, you know, what's the messaging? What's your elevator pitch? What's your um, programs or your themes or your branding or your colors or your imagery? All the other things that come around communicating that. And that's more about marketing it with a consistency and a consistent brand message. But the first step, Michael, is really to think about what is it that you want to be well-known, well-paid and wanted for? How does this fit in for things like the, the method or the, the medium that you actually 
communicate or put your message out. So you mentioned um, books and blogs and podcasts, which is what this one is, uh, and all kinds. You, you mentioned uh, doing potentially a TV show through YouTube and <laughs> all, all those sorts of things that that's out there, that's possible, that in many cases is accessible for not a lot of money, but people will see the brand and see all those methods and go, well, how, how do those fit in? Like, it sounds mm. like there's, there's a great big disconnect because you can be someone that's really outgoing, really extroverted and go, you know what, I'd, I'd feel better doing a, a WordPress blog as opposed to doing a YouTube thing but maybe the the branding side of things saying well if if that's what I'm showing up as and that's what the the brand's all about that should probably get used to being on camera and, and doing YouTube and things so how do we fit in the, the methods for things like marketing or personal branding in with this idea of how do you want people to feel and then how do those like cross over it's a really good question. I mean, each channel has its own benefits and its own special, you know, abilities. So, for example, YouTube or TV, as we used to call it, um, has got that whole um, connect, emotional connection because it's moving pictures and sound. And you can create really captivating content when it's visual and there's sound and music and all those sorts of things. TV always was before the internet one of the best engagements because it had all that going for it was radio is the theater of the mind. Um, you know, when you go back to the, the goon show and all those sorts of things where they had sound effects and, you know, trying to create scenes in your mind. Um, then of course, written media, which used to be magazines and press notes, blogs and things like that um, is all about um, engaging people with a great headline and then captivating them enough to read more. Um, so each channel has its own special, abilities and its own challenges. I think the thing I would suggest, and the way that it crosses over, Michael, is this. Now, it comes from my background. I mean, I, I grew up in the bush, and there were two, two things that were used as tools to make sure that we didn't get lost. And there were a lot of people that we used to have to go and try and rescue out of the bush. My dad was part of the search and rescue team and we were always um, on alert if anybody was up in the bush overnight and, and no one knew where they were. So the two things we had were a map and compass. And I learned how to use a map and compass from a very young age. Um, I was a girl guide. I did orienteering at school. I don't know whether anyone else who's listening did orienteering. I used to love the map and compass, but I hated the running part. It was really not my thing. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but a map and a compass gave me um, the two things you need to make sure you don't get lost when you're in the bush. And when you're in the, in the New Zealand bush especially, you can be – only a couple of meters from the path um, and you're lost. It's really dense bush. I don't know anyone who's listening that might've maybe had a holiday in New Zealand and gone wandering in the bush, but you can get lost really quick in New Zealand bush. It's really, really dense. Not as bad as Australian bush, the stuff that'll kill you in there, like snakes and things. In New Zealand, thankfully, they don't have that stuff, but, um, but still pretty risky. So, um, so if you think about it, um, there's two completely separate things that a map and a compass does for you. And this is how I describe to people the difference between marketing and branding. So to me, your brand is your compass. So there's, there's only one thing that a compass does. It points north. And if you're lost and you're in the bush or in business and you've got all these different channels that you could be marketing on, and you don't know what to do, and you don't know which is right for you and your brand, and you, all you've got is a brand just pointing you at north, 
then it's hopeless. There's, it's like getting into a car with a GPS system that says head east and you don't know which direction you're pointing in. So to have a brand on its own, it just won't work. But again, if you had a map, um, again, that doesn't help you when you're lost either. Because if you don't know where you are on that map, how on earth do you know which direction to go in? A map just tells you where everything is. It tells you where the, li the lie of the land. But I tell you what, if you know orienteering and you've put a map, a map and a compass together, within seconds you can figure out exactly where you are on that map and which direction to go in. So they work hand in hand. A brand and, a, and your marketing absolutely works hand in hand. If you can find your true north, if you can get really clear on your, what you want to be known for, and having that reputation in the marketplace, getting that down pat, finding that true north and giving you that direction for your business and your brand, your overarching brand strategy. And then you can create a marketing action plan or a map um, that tells you where everybody is. Where is your target audience? Who do they listen to? What sort of media are they looking at already? What sort of messaging is going to be right for them? When in the day or the month or the year are they most likely to want what you've got? You know, when do they most have that desire? Um, who your key opinion leaders are? That's your marketing. And if you can put the two of them together, get your brand pointing in the right direction and then draw up a marketing action plan, a map, then you're away. And it means that you can then make the right decisions about which channel to use, which message to put on that channel, and what time of day or day of the week or, or time of the year is best to get that message out there. What if you, you're kind of struggling to like, actually get to your final decision? So <clears throat> what I mean by that is, is you can do very, very similar things on, say, YouTube or Facebook Live, for instance, or the difference between writing a blog and recording a podcast is quite, um, it's, it's not a very big gap, is sort of where, where I'm going with this, is yep. to, to, to a greater or lesser extent, you can do whatever message that you want or whatever message that your, your brand requires you to do, but the actual method might matter not as much so how how do we discern between what's best for us and what's best for the brand because someone could put the same thing on multiple different platforms and multiple different places and it's ultimately the, the the same content right so it's just a case of distributing it across all those channels instead but how would we decide where to put those things i think there's three parts to the answer to this one michael one is does it feel right for your brand? And again, you'll only know that if you've figured out your true north, if you've figured out the direction you want for your, for your compass to point in. So first litmus test when you're choosing a channel is does this feel right for my brand? Would my brand actively be comfortable in this genre or in this channel? So is it a visual brand? Is it a, a podcast brand? Is it a written brand? Um, you know, how would my, I go through an exercise quite often with my clients around brand personality and we actually turn their brand into a person and we, we introduce their brand and the brand comes and sits next to them in the chair. And we describe everything we can about their brand if they were a person. And it makes it easy then to figure out, well, what would this person be doing? Would they be going on Facebook? Would they be on LinkedIn? So that's the number one thing you need to think about is does this channel feel right for my brand? Second thing is, is this a channel where my target audience is going to be? 
because it's absolutely pointless going out with a message on a channel where no one is listening or all the wrong people are listening. You don't want to attract horrible people into your business. Life's too short. You just want to work with people that you're going to love working with. So figure out what channel, where are, you, where are your audience? Where are they hanging out? Um, what do they most like to absorb? If they like to listen to podcasts on the train commuting to work, then that's where you need to be. So really get clear about your target audience and how they most like to absorb the media that's around them and be where they are. So that's the second thing. And the third thing in choosing channels to me is where do you feel most comfortable? Because you cannot be authentic if you're trying to push yourself into a channel where you're never going to like it. And let's be honest, we don't have a lot of time in the day when you're running a business to do your marketing. So if it's going to be a drag or if you're going to hate being on a podcast or being on YouTube or writing stuff, if you're going to hate it, you're never going to do it. You'll always find ways to avoid it or procrastinate about it. But if it's something that you love doing, if you love speaking or you love getting in front of the camera or writing or whatever it is that you might really enjoy doing, whichever channel is going to work best for you, go with the one that's the easiest because you're going to need to create a consistent message over a long period of time to get to the likes of the Volvos and the Coca-Colas and the Nikes and the Richard Bransons of the world. So those are the three things I'd go with. What's right for your brand? Where would your brand be and how would they conduct themselves? What's right for your target audience? And then what's right for you? They're pretty good questions, actually, and I've I wrote those down because it seems to be, seems to be like that you can put them in a couple of different orders and like prioritize them in in different ways as well. Like you can you can put the target audience first, and then you can go right. Well, then that 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 kind of helps with a lot of things. But then if if you then think right, well, am I comfortable to do this? Yes or no? It. Does it then feel right for the brand as a whole if I went down that road? Because so sometimes the audience might be there, but then you might not feel comfortable about doing it or it might go against the, the brand values or whatever the case is. So it seems like you can come up with different answers to the questions based on the order of the questions. So is there, a, is there a, an ideal order for the questions or was the order that, that you gave the order that you'd go with? I think, I mean, that's the order I go with mostly because I think the reason for that is it's great to find the channel and it's great to find your audience and it's great to find something that you love doing. But if you can't get your message right, so say, for example, you've got a brand that's very visual. So maybe it's um, hair and beauty or maybe it's landscaping or painting and decorating um, or styling something or styling homes or selling homes, something where people need to see it, um, you're going to need a visual channel. You're going to need to use a, a vlog or a, a blog with photographs or something in order to allow you to share visual images. Um, so that's always going to, to guide you as to which channel is going to work based on the brand message that you've got going out there and that overarching strategy. So I guess that's why I would suggest that first is to think about how would your brand communicate? If they're a person, what would they be doing? I mean, I think you could certainly start a blog as a real estate agent and talk about homes and all the rest of it, but you're going to have to be pretty good at describing things or 
you're just on the blog to really, you know, grow a profile and answer people's questions and, and provide really amazing content that engages and then send them to a website to go and check out the homes to buy or to sell or whatever. So you can use them in combinations, but that would be my first stop is what makes sense for your brand and then go through the other ones after that. Because even if you found the right channel for your audience and you went, oh, yay, I love writing and my audience loves reading, that's awesome but I don't know what my brand message is and I don't know whether it's visual or if it's emotional or if it's something I can write about or speak about, then you're sort of wasting your time anyway. So I would start with your brand. It seems at least to me that if you get the, <clears throat> if you get the, the brand right first, you can save a lot of, of headache and having to actually go back to the brand because maybe you've hit a stumbling block or something further down the road. You, you mean avoiding that waft dam, Michael? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've got to avoid that waft dam, you know. If, if you're listening and, and we're kind of beating it you know, across the head with a stick a little bit, it's probably because there's so much out there that it's mm. it's something that as soon as you... It's almost like if you know what to avoid as well, that sometimes that, that can be enough to get the list down enough that you then start taking action. I know I had, um, mm. had a conversation with someone the other day and it was like, well, sometimes it isn't about knowing what it is that you want to do. Sometimes it's just about knowing what you don't want to do. Sometimes it's just about getting clear on what you hate doing or what doesn't fit the brand or whatever the case is. And at least then you're whittling down the list somehow. Because I think people aim for the, the one thing, don't they? And it's like, well, what if you could do five? And, you know, five might be enough for you to do those five. But having a list of 20, trying to find one, it's, it's a lot harder to do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I talk about is, I mean, a lot of people seem to want to wait until everything is perfect. You know, conditions are perfect my brand is perfect, my website's perfect, whatever it is. They seem to want to just make sure everything's perfect before they take action. And my suggestion is, look, get it out into the marketplace and see if it flies. And if it goes, then awesome. Then spend some time perfecting it. But don't wait and wait and wait and wait until you've got something perfect before you launch it because it'll be too late. You're better off to get it out in the marketplace, get to see if, see if the audience want it. Um, you know, test it out and then perfect it later on. So don't wait until things are perfect. They never will be perfect. There's no such thing. And I think also people tend to underestimate their value. They tend to, especially if you've been doing something, if you've been in a business or you've been in a particular industry for five years, um, chances are, it's about 10,000 hours. That's Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Chances are you're doing something on autopilot and you just assume that everybody knows how to sell a house or get fit or, you know, organize their wellness or, you know, perform better in business or whatever it is that you might help people with. You just assume that everybody knows how to keep their books or write a marketing plan or sell iced Eskimos, you know, and they don't, they really don't. And it's just because you've been surrounding yourself with it for so long that you've become unconsciously competent at what you do. And people tend to undervalue that, Michael. They tend to not realize that they have the most extra extraordinary gifts and talents just in their natural abilities. And they need to share them with the world. Don't wait till it's perfect. Just get out there and bloom and well do it. Get that momentum. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, sometimes people don't realise how good they are at something until someone tells them that they are, in fact, good at something. <laughs> it's something they've, they've done for so long, and then they go, well, I didn't even know, like, you couldn't do this. Like, it's almost like the curse of knowledge, isn't it? Like, <laughs> It's a bit ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like, you go, yeah, well, I, I'm amazing at it, but there's like, well, I don't know I'm amazing at it because I've been doing it for so long. That's kind of how I became amazing at it. And then, yeah. people, and then people sort of forget that others haven't had that process. You know, you talked about the the 10,000 hours as well people haven't had those 10,000 hours so you're at least 10,000 hours ahead it's it's almost like um I, I used the analogy a couple of weeks ago about um being an ant in a giant's shoes is difficult but if, if you grow then you can fill those shoes and then you can actually do those things and you know people are still small ants trying to be in this you know big shoe world and then there's the people out there that are big ants that go oh well i, I can do it it's great it's uh it's easy for me but they don't realize that they've, mm. they've grown as as a result you know so they can do those things absolutely I, I talk about it as i love that analogy ants and giant shoes it's awesome the the way i explain it is um your expertise you know the things that you do with ease that other people find difficult you know, that's why they call it expert ease. So what's the stuff you do with ease? Have, take some time to just make a note of what's the stuff you just do without even thinking about it. Because that's really valuable stuff. That's the gold that most people are out there bashing their head against the wall because they can't figure out how to do it. And you've got the answers. Yeah, definitely. All right, Lauren. Well, we are reasonably close to the end, so we've just got the last couple of the questions for you. Um, if you have any books that you would recommend, or perhaps books that you give to, to people that have been struggling with, with branding or the, the neuro branding, as you call it? Well, I've got a best-selling book, if that's helpful at all. <laughs> it's, called, um, it's called Selling You, and it's a personal branding guidebook, and it's an interactive book. So there's exercises and tasks and things in that book. And a lot of people send me photographs of them um, when they've got the, a copy of my book that looks very tatty and they've written on it and scribbled on it, and, which is awesome. I love to see it when my book gets really well used. So Selling You, it's on Amazon if you wanted to go and grab a copy of my book. Um, a couple of other books that I really love um, that I work, one's called The Go-Giver, um, which is a really short parable by Bob Berg. Um, and it's all about really understanding that there's a power in relationships and a power in how can I give to somebody else in order to get what I want. And it's just a really, really awesome way to look at your business and your brand. And any sort of um, autobiography of any entrepreneur, I would suggest go and read it, go and find out what were the challenges. Um, we all have these sorts of um, fairy tale ideas of these big brands that were created and, and how awesome they are. Most of them were broke um, for many, many years and they struggled and they, you know, thought of giving up and thought of quitting and they had all these things that happened to them. Um, and yet they became these most awesome brands. I've just finished reading um, the Nike story, the Phil Knight story um, recently. And yeah, for, for most of the time that that brand has existed, it's been broke. <laughs> so, you know, reading an entrepreneur's journey is really, really, um, A, it's inspirational and heartening, but more importantly, it makes you realize that we are all entrepreneurs on the same sort of a journey and we need to support each other and be there for each other and not panic when you feel like quitting because that's just normal. It's just part of the process. Yeah, for sure. 
I, I completely agree with that. So before we get to the, the last question, Lauren, um, if people wanted to find out a bit more about you and what you've got going on, where can people go? So this would be your chance to share links and social media and all those sorts of things. Absolutely. Well, um, you can find me at the Ultimate Business Propeller. Um, don't ask me why as a dyslexic I chose such a long brand name and I can't spell business or propeller particularly well. And ultimate, not at the best of times, but ultimate business propeller. Um, and it's got lots and lots of tips and tools and all sorts of things on there. I often run online workshops. It doesn't matter where in the world that you are. You can jump on and learn more about how to package your personal brand, how to get out there. Um, I do have a really, really cool um, weekly email that comes out and it's called the weekly rocket um, and it's normally somewhere between 8 and 12 really really awesome brand building opportunities so this is um, like people like yourself Michael who are looking for guests on their podcasts um, it's the media who are looking for expert comment um, people who want guest bloggers um, and live events where they're looking for expert speakers so if you're at a point in your brand where you just really want to rock it and you want to get it out there um, the weekly rockets full of those opportunities a lot of them are free opportunities to get out there and share your story and share your gifts and talents with the world and inspire and encourage other people um, with what you're doing um, so yeah the weekly rocket it's a, a free weekly um, email that launches every Wednesday and you can get that from my website um, and if you visit that then go for it and use those opportunities to get your brand out there last question for you Lauren and I ask all my guests this so we've had funny answers to serious answers this is your chance to go completely off track if you want to and <laughs> it is what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know Gosh, well, I think the world knows quite a lot about me because I'm not really, really good at hiding anything. Um, <laughs> probably, I do have on one of my profiles somewhere that I am a, vo a vodka quality control expert. Um, I do like my vodka. I don't know whether I'd like the world to know that about me, but, um, but that's, that's an awesome thing. I think maybe one, one of the things I'd love for the world to know, because if you look at my website and you look at what I've been doing with my brand and, and the way that I present myself, I do look relatively confident and... Um, um, and competent and all those sorts of things. I think what I'd love the world to know about me is I do have those days. I do have those times when I go, is it all worth it? You know, maybe I should just throw them in the towel. I think the, the world needs to know that, you know, I'm not actually quite as self-confident as I might sound. <laughs> and I do have, um, you know, the ability to just be someone who's a little bit scared at times because I think that makes it just a little bit more real. And it's a great program to be on when you talk about being raw um, because the world needs more authentic people. And we're living in the age of the authentic brand. You've got to be yourself. Yeah, I've, <clears throat> I've, had, I've had my own days and sometimes weeks or even months when I was sort of, you know, contemplated giving it all up and then just starting something new or, or just stopping everything altogether and, and doing something else. And it just, it's just something that, I think everyone has to a certain extent and yeah I think the more people like yourself and uh, like myself that, that share those things then <clears throat> I'm sure people will, will benefit hugely from it just even if it's just that uh well at least it's not just me you know like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not alone there are more people out there that do have those bad days and yeah no thanks for sharing that I appreciate awesome. it thanks for being a guest on the show Lauren I appreciate you taking out the time and I'm, I'm sure we'll keep in touch 
It's really been awesome to be here. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me on the show. And I hope people have got something out of it and they go for it and get themselves out there because people like entrepreneurs and business owners are working really hard. You do deserve to have success. So um, go for it, guys. Really share your gifts and talents and just make it happen.